You're listening to episode 124 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is the repentant travelers, based on Genesis 43 through 45. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things, or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is The Repentant Travelers. Over the past couple weeks, we have been following the storyline of Sarah and Abraham, who give birth to Isaac, who marries Rebecca, who gives birth to the twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he marries Leah and Rachel, and he has 12 sons. One of them's name is Joseph, and the other brothers team up against him to sell him into slavery. And today we're going to be hearing how that one choice leads to a life of agony, of dealing with the guilt and shame of sin, but ultimately leads to repentant and changed hearts. And how the Lord was working in the midst of what seemed like a chaotic family decision. And as travelers, we know that sometimes change takes time. Seeing ourselves walk through different scenarios, we learn and we grow and we encounter different things in our journeys that affect us for a long time. But yet... As Christians, we know that sin is everywhere. It's in our thoughts, it's in our words, it's in our actions, and it's something we daily have to repent of. We daily have to lay it down at the cross, and at the cross, it is forgiven, and we are free, and we're made new, and each day we start brand new in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but... Satan has a way of bringing up these past mistakes, of bringing up the guilt and shame, of bringing up things that just weigh us down. And they affect how we interact with the world around us. They affect so many things. And it could have started as this one little small white lie, and it's just built into something so much bigger than that. For instance, last week we learned how Joseph's brothers didn't like his dreams, his prophet, they didn't like his prophetic dreams, and they didn't like the message that it was giving them that Joseph would be greater than them. So, they built up this anger and tension, this sinful thought towards their brother until the point that they make the decision to throw him in a pit, sell him as a slave, and to cover up their sin, they put some blood on his cloak and ask their father to identify that it is his son's coat. They never outright admit that they committed a sin. They never 
outright say what happened in that scenario, but they leave it open-ended as though somehow that makes it better. And then the weight of this tears Jacob or Israel, whichever name you recognize him as, it tears down his father to the point he's living in sorrow and it carries with him for a really long time. And yet he's blessed with another son. This son's name is Benjamin. And where we left off last week, one of Joseph's brothers, Simeon, is in prison. The brothers were sent back with the mission that they needed to bring Benjamin, their youngest brother that Joseph's never met, bring him back to Egypt in order to prove that they aren't spies and that they indeed are who they say they are. It's kind of a trial that they're being put on, but they don't know it because they don't know that this man, this judge, this assistant to Pharaoh is indeed their brother. And so they go back home and Israel says no. He says, you will not take away another one of my sons. He basically disclaims discards the fact that Simeon even is one of his sons. He's like, well, he's gone. That's just the way it is. He instantly accepts it, but he will refuses to risk the chance of losing Benjamin, his youngest son, who he had that kind of in a sense replaced the hole in his heart for Joseph, but he's still dealing with that grief. And there, the sin is still there. No one's admitted what has happened. And maybe... Israel has an idea that the brothers are at fault for this, or maybe he's just blaming them for not protecting his favorite son. Either way, we see some time go by and they run out of food. And at this point, Israel is desperate enough that he says, go back. But it goes down the line. All of the brothers kind of say, we can't go unless Benjamin comes. And Israel trusts some. He doesn't trust others. And finally, it lands on Judah, Judah being the fourth oldest. I think it was like Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. And Judah, Israel trusts enough. Judah, Judah says he'll take the responsibility of Benjamin. He'll take the responsibility on him. And the brothers head back. And Israel has come to a point of acceptance that if he would lose Benjamin, he will take up this woe with the Lord. He will grieve to the Lord, but he will accept that this is what the Lord has for him. So the brothers head out back to Egypt with Benjamin. And when they arrive, Joseph recognizes them and he sends them to his house, which confuses the brothers. They're all freaked out because, if you remember, when they were heading home last time, they found their money was put back into their sacks. And they think Joseph is going to, like, try and turn them into servants or, or kill them in secret in his own home. And they don't understand why he's pulled aside. So they instantly go up to the servant and they say, 
our money was returned. We've brought back twice as much this time. Like, we're trying to repent of any miscommunications or misdeeds that happened. And the servant knew the God of their father, which Joseph must have told them about. But he says, the God of your father has blessed you. And I received payments, so all is well. Which basically means Joseph probably paid for his brother's grain and and was leading them to this um this moment of repentance of checking if they truly were repentant and would have different actions so they're here and they're admitting to a sin that's good and then Joseph comes in and he sits down for dinner with them and he wants to see if his brothers are still greedy So in the custom of that time, Joseph, being a Hebrew, could not have eaten with the other Egyptians. So he has a table separate from the Egyptians' servants that were there. And then he sat separate from his brothers. And so there's three tables in this room and everybody's eating. And Joseph's food is kind of used to, he eats some and then the rest gets passed on to the other to the other table and all of the brothers have been arranged in order of age so Reuben and then Simeon which he was brought out of prison and also I forgot to mention when Israel sent them back in the dialogue that he had with his sons they made the comment that there had been enough time that had passed since Simeon had been put in prison, since they'd returned home and been told they couldn't go back without Benjamin. Enough time had passed that they could have made at least two trips to Egypt and back, which is estimated then that it's been about two years that they've left Simeon in prison, two years since they were there. So Simeon's brought out of prison, reunited with his family. They're all arranged in order from oldest to youngest, which they're all amazed by. They're like, how the heck did he know? And so they're sitting there and eating and to test if they're still greedy. Because if you remember, their father treated Joseph with a lot of special privileges. Like he gave him the coat of many colors and he treated him as a favorite son to see if they were still the greedy older brothers that he knew. He gave Benjamin, the youngest, five times as much food as the others. But they were all just cheerful and merry and happy to be together again, and they were not jealous. So they kind of passed that test of repentance. And so he sends them on their way. Again, he fills their bags with grain. He puts their money back into their sacks, but this time he takes his silver goblet and puts it into the mouth of Benjamin's sack. And he lets them carry on just a little ways, and then he sends his servant after them to kind of scold them and reprimand them for walking off with a cup of divination, which is a fancy way of saying the cup for fortune-telling. It was common for Egyptians to put oil inside of a cup and foretell the future kind of thing, which Joseph didn't actually practice. But considering that he set up this test to see of their repentance of what is going on in their brother's minds, how they'd handle the situation, 
he needs something to kind of cover up the fact that he was testing them. So if he practices divination, then no wonder he could tell the future and therefore he knew that this would happen. So the servant runs after him with the authority of Joseph given to him so he can scold them, he can reprimand them, and he can bring them back. And the brothers are like, well, we didn't steal anything from you. But whoever is, like, they can be punished for this. And the servant said, very well, they will become a servant. So he starts with the oldest, working from Reuben all the way down to Benjamin. And what do you know? Benjamin has the silver goblet. Now, if you remember, the older brothers sold Joseph off into slavery. They didn't stand up for Joseph. They just let it happen. This time, though, Judah stands up and he says this isn't okay, and they all come with them back to Joseph's house, and he's still at his house that morning. And so Judah instantly says, we'll all be your servants, rather than having just Benjamin be a servant. And and that wasn't quite the test that Joseph was going for. So he says, nope, can't accept that only one servant, and he was the one who had the cup, so it's going to be him. Benjamin's Benjamin is now my servant. And Judah says, no, like, you don't understand. Our father entrusted Benjamin into my care. I will be your servant. Like, one of us will be your servant, but it can't be Benjamin for our father will surely die. And so they stand up. Again, this passes the test. But this time, in seeing how much his brothers have changed, in seeing that there has truly been repentance and a change of heart, and a change of direction for his brothers. Joseph has to go into another room. He act well, actually, throughout this whole story, he often steps out to cry, but he has everyone leave the room this time, mainly so that the Egyptians don't start to question his authority. Um, but this leaves all the brothers really confused. They're like, oh no, we're going to get vengeance. We're going to get something really terrible happening. But he comes back out and he says, brothers, I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And they, probably rightfully so, freak out. They they don't want to say anything to him. They're, they're so afraid of what he's going to do to them. He has all the authority um, of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and he could do anything to them for they sold him into slavery. He could punish them however he wanted. But Joseph reassures them and says, it was not you who sold me into slavery. It was the Lord who put this plan in place. It has only been two years of famine, but there are five more to go. And I have been put here in this place, in this time, in this now, in this present, because I am here to see over Egypt to be a father or a close intimate guide to the Pharaoh, to be close servant to Pharaoh's people, to lead them to the Lord, to be in this place in this time in the season. That's the whole reason I was sold into slavery was so that my destiny would be here, so that I could save more people, so there would be a greater remnant left after this severe famine. And then he goes and he cries on the neck of Benjamin and cries and weeps over all of his brothers. And finally they come to and they realize we're not going to get punished. (laughs) 
we're we're not going to get punished and we're our brother is here and and then pharaoh finds out that um joseph's brothers are here and he says go bring your family uh here's a bunch of wagons here's a bunch of donkeys here's a bunch of food go get your family and have them move to this land so what do they do they set out they go into this land and they head out back to their father and when he they return and say joseph is alive his heart goes numb you think it would be instant joy after him living in the consequence of his son's sins for this amount of time but his heart goes numb he doesn't believe at first but then he sees the wagons and the things that'll make it easier for them to move and he's overfl- overfilled with joy. He realizes this is true. His his sons are not pulling his leg. It's true. And Benjamin is back in the safety of his arms. And so he's like, I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna die without seeing Joseph again. So he's like, let's go. And that brings us through chapter 45. Now, does the Lord test us? when we sin? Does the Lord bless us when we sin? Looking back at this story, I think you can see some blessings going on. Even though Joseph was testing his brothers to see if they had truly changed, he gives them their money back. He provides them meal and welcomes him into his home. He gives them blessings, but he also tests them to see if their hearts are truly changing. And in many ways, this is like God. Every day is a chance for us to repent of the many sins that we commit, too many to even count. But repentance is not just words that we say. It is the actions that follow. We're going to mess up. We are going to fail. Just because the brothers were not greedy towards Benjamin doesn't mean that they didn't still have to fight the temptation to be greedy. Just because they passed Joseph's test didn't mean that Joseph didn't remind them not to quarrel on the way back, because quarreling is probably what led to him being in Egypt in the first place. We sin every day. We're called to repent every moment and every day, to admit our sins into the Lord, and to make a change, to change our attitude, change our way, to truly be repentant is to work on being more what the Lord calls us to be. But also recognizing that our salvation isn't based on works. It isn't about the number of times that we do it right versus the number of times we do it wrong. It is about our belief and our trust in our Savior and understanding that He died for the times that we fail the times when it is just words instead of a truly repentant heart. That his salvation is for us all, all that who believe will be saved. And that in response to that, we seek to be more like our God who has such a sacrificial and loving heart. And as we travel we can be like the brothers whose one little sin of being 
greedy and angry towards their younger brother turned into so many bigger actions that hurt their father, that hurt those around them, that made Benjamin live in the shadow of a memory lost. Benjamin was 20 when he finally made that trek to Egypt, so a lot of time has passed since Joseph left. A lot of time that could have been family bonding time, but their sin divided their own family. As a traveler, what sin have you been living in that you need to repent of, that you need to admit that you were wrong, and to change the direction that you're heading? I think of all the amazing places in this world that we could visit, that we could travel, that the Lord could take us to. But then I also remember what Joseph said, that he went through being a slave to Potiphar, to being thrown in a jail cell, to being forgotten in that jail cell, to foretelling Pharaoh's dream, to being the second in command. And in, in that process, he could have fallen into the temptations. He could have turned away, but he acknowledged God's hand in his journey. He acknowledged that, yes, there was sin. Yes, there were terrible things that happened, but God had me on the path that he wanted me. And can you say that about your own life right now? Maybe you are in one of those dark places or in one of those confusing things that you just don't see God's hand. But can you acknowledge what God is doing even if you don't fully understand it? Right now, I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z, but I know God's mercies are new each morning. I know that God is working on my heart. I know that there is something good coming because... The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's not easy. It's not easy declaring that God is, has put you where he needs you when you aren't sure that you want to be there. It's not easy to say that God has put you where he wants you when you know that the sins and mistakes of others has gotten you there. But the freedom... The freedom that it gives you is, is remarkable and is something that I know I am working to acknowledge in my own life. And I pray that you are working on in your own journeys as well. So would you go ahead and pray with me and let's lift up these thoughts to the Lord. Dear Lord, I lift up these travelers unto you who come to you in the middle of messes. The messes of those around them that affects their lives, the mistakes that they've made and hurt and, and the ways they've hurt others. These burdens that they carry with them, the uncertainty of the future and the confusion of the past. But we look to Joseph in the certainty he had in where you led him to. And we ask that you give us that sort of clarity, that sort of knowledge and understanding in our own lives. And as we travel through life and as we travel to destinations unknown, that we may go with repentant hearts, seeking to learn and grow in reflection of you. In your name we pray.
Amen. I have one more thought and question for you guys before I conclude today's podcast. But before I do, I want to invite you to support our podcast. And three ways that you can do that are by subscribing to this on your favorite podcast listening platform, sharing this with a friend, and leaving us a review. Those three things can be a huge help. And if you're looking for other faith and travel resources, I encourage you to head to our website and subscribe to our weekly email. There you can get other useful tools. And of course, we have an important retreat coming up in Punta Cana this January, and I am praying that the Lord fills it with amazing Christians who are looking to travel and explore the world and to grow in relationship with the Lord and with one another. And if you feel like the Lord is calling you to travel in Christian community, then I encourage you to head to our website, christiantravelers.net forward slash punta dash kana. There you can find out all of the details. And of course, our early bird fee cutoff date is September 25th. So don't miss your chance to sign up now. But in closing thoughts and questions, something for you to ponder this week. What is the Lord calling you to repent of? What is he calling you to change directions and heart with? And how are you going to apply that to your week? Take a moment to visualize that and imagine that. And better yet, go ahead and get those thoughts out of your head and onto a page. You can either email them to me or message them to a friend, but get them out of your head so that you can start to put them into action. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.